0: Morning once again. Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, bring your Bibles. All right, if you don't have your Bibles, bring your Bibles. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Nehemiah nine. I know we're jumping a little bit in Nehemiah, and it's for a good reason. Uh, the guy who's speaking to us next Sunday is going to bring Nehemiah eight, and his name's Joe Bishop. And um, I've honestly never heard anybody teach um, the book of Nehemiah so well. And bring it to life, and Joe is going to bring us Nehemiah 8 next Sunday. Uh, Last week we looked at Nehemiah 7. This week we're just skipping ahead to Nehemiah 9. It won't hurt us to uh, to be able to go back and see, and I won't cover anything out of Nehemiah 8 this morning. But uh, we are going to look at this idea of um, renewing covenant. And Nehemiah 9 is about the people of Israel confessing their sin. And we all know what a covenant is. A covenant is a promise. God always keeps his covenants with his people, regardless of how faithful or faithless we are. And we, on the other hand, make promises all the time. We make promises to God. We make promises to other people. And unfortunately, many times, we're bad about breaking those. Yet our God remains faithful. And so this morning is this idea of Uh, They are confronted with the Word of God, and the Word of God pierces them, and they confess their sin. And so we're just going to jump in. All of Nehemiah 9 is centrally themed on God, the covenant-keeping God. And Nehemiah 9 records the longest prayer in the Bible. Now, we are not going to read that prayer, but it is long. 38 verses here in Nehemiah 9. And it's a, it's a beautiful prayer. Much of it is a recounting and a reciting of history. Uh, in fact, the prayer reviews the history of Israel, where they've been, God chose them, what he's brought them through. It's a summation of that. It also talks about how majestic God is and how depraved man is, how often we fall into sin. In these verses, we find uh, verse 17, God's great kindness. Verse 31, God's great mercy. And in verses 25 and 35, we find God's great goodness. And by the way, uh, there is going to be a difference between God's greatness and God's goodness. Maybe you know what that is already. But this is Israel's response over and over again, before the walls were rebuilt. The reason why the walls were in ruin to begin with is even though God was great, great in kindness, great in mercy, great in goodness to his people, the people were greatly disobedient and it led to their great distress. In fact, they'd been carried away as slaves, separated from their families. Everything that they knew and loved they had lost because they had lost their first love for God. And so this is the story of a people being rebuilt. Nehemiah is really, the first part of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the walls. The second half of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the people. And we know this, that history is, His story. It's God's story. You've heard that many, many times, and I don't say that even glibly or tongue in cheek. It's all His story. God's redemptive purpose is set on mankind. At the perfect time in history, He placed His Son Jesus to live and to die as the Son of Man and the Son of God, the perfect redemption for our sin. And since that time, God is continuing through the church to work out His redemptive plan until. The day when Christ comes again, the tribulation, the thousand or millennial year reign, the uh, the, the releasing of the beast, the battle of Armageddon—all of those things are yet to be fulfilled. But it's all His story. God sees as far back as eternity, and He sees as far forward as eternity. He already knows the end of it all, and so. The, the basic outline for this chapter, these are going to be my three points, and I'm going to try to roll this morning. Uh, that's hard for me sometimes because it's so rich and good. But the number one point is the greatness of God. We're talking about his sovereignty, his might, his power. He's over everything. He is a great God. We don't have enough words in our language or any language to pronounce how great God is. We find these verses in uh, this greatness of God in verses one through six. And this is really the only place I want to read this morning. And we'll just start with verse one. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. That's burlap. That's a a maybe goat hair. It's, It's very uncomfortable to wear and intentionally so. And they put earth or dirt on their heads. And you can imagine these people that are just mourning. They're wailing. Have you ever been in a situation, uh, most of us probably had, where we're so distraught, so broken, maybe over sin, maybe over the loss of someone or something, that, man, it's just you ugly cry. And uh, and it happens. And we, we don't care who sees us or who's watching or what's around. It's just... Man, there's a pouring out of all of our emotions. The floodgates open up, and this is really where the people are. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins. They stood up to do this. They confessed their sins. That's important. And they confessed the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Six hours. Or three hours, I should say, because if daylight is 12 hours, a quarter of the day is uh, three here. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Six hours, there's a worship service going on. On the the stairs of the Levites stood these men. I'm not going to read their names. But they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, and it mentions more names, said, stand up. And bless the Lord your God. He said, I said, get up out of the dirt and stand up. And now it's time to praise his name. Bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your goodness or your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. Did you pray with me? Lord God, what we just read is that you're God over everything. Lord, there are people today who don't believe, who don't confess, who don't follow you, who don't obey you, who don't acknowledge you, who don't know you. And then there are those of us who do know you in a personal relationship. And Lord, we fall short too. Lord, so often we forget to thank you. We forget to spend time with you. We don't worship or glorify you. We neglect time spent with you. Lord, we are also guilty. And Lord, today we confess our sin. Lord, I pray that every man and woman, boy and girl that's here, that we would realize that we all fall short of the glory of God. But thank you, God, that in Jesus, the grace that you offer us, you provide a way for us to come back to you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for the blessing and the gift that you provide of your very self. Lord God, we love you. We offer up praise. Lord, I know it's not enough, but Lord, we offer you the praise that we can give. And we pray, Father, that today maybe we can renew a covenant with you. We can come back to the promises that we once stood so strong in. Maybe the joy that was ours early in salvation. Maybe the obedience that we once walked in and the servanthood, Lord God, that we once served with. And Lord, today that would be refreshed and renewed by the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That little baby was praising God while we were praying. Um, We are looking at the greatness of God. And understand the setting for this. The people have just come from a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is week-long, just incredible feasting that's happened. And all of a sudden, they move from feasting into fasting. Fasting. And fasting isn't something that we traditionally talk much about, and especially in Baptist churches, Brother Ben. We talk about raisin pie. We talk about Thanksgiving fellowship. Man, I've gained—since I became a pastor, I've gained more weight because of Baptist fellowships. And they're good, all right? There's nothing wrong with it. But this— Instance they are fasting. They have broken what they were doing. There was a season a time for joy and now there's a season or a time for mourning and repentance and Why this happens is Ezra a contemporary of Nehemiah stands up before the people and he reads the Word of God to them the Word of God the law that's read to them brings conviction and men and women begin confessing their sins This six-hour worship service, not many of us have ever sat through six hours of worship, and I agree that it would be difficult, but this is an all-day affair, and with it comes the beginning of revival, this new God-centered life for God's people. Now, God takes the time to receive us, any moment of any day, the promise is that we can approach the throne of grace, that we can come humbly yet boldly to the throne of grace. It doesn't matter if it's three in the morning. It doesn't matter if you're driving to school or to work. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of the day. It doesn't matter if it's at dinner time with your family. Anytime throughout the day, you can come to God in prayer. And he, get this, always takes time to receive you. He always has time for you. Not many people can say that. We don't have time for much in our world today, but God always has time for us. He never turns us away. He's always available. He's always with us. He's always for us. He's never left us. He'll never forsake us. He's never too busy for even the petty things that we might bring to him. But it seems that we oftentimes don't have time for God. And that is to our own chagrin. That's our own sin, our own fault. The Israelites were the great example of this. Now, here is what true worship is. And I've put some of these on the screen and I'm primarily gonna have to preach from what's on the screen this morning just to get through uh, in plenty of time because we have Brother Bill is coming to speak to us from the Gideons and he's gonna bring a great word too. But this is worship. When you hear God's word, I I would say when you receive God's word as well, when you act upon God's word. True worship is when you praise God. We praise him more than singing. We praise him, we should be praising him when we're going out and living our lives. I've told this story, I think, before, but several months ago, springtime happened, and I'm getting Sperry out of the back seat, and Sperry's three, and I open the door, and he's like, do you hear that, Daddy? And he points to his ear, and I said, yeah, do you hear those birds singing? I said, I wonder what they're singing. And he said, Jesus loves me, just matter of factly. But you know that there is great depth of truth in what he said. God created the birds to sing, did he not? And so they're praising their God. Doing whatever God created you to do to the fullness and glory of God is worship. And you can do that on a daily basis, whether you have a good voice or not. Prayer, confession of sin, separating ourselves from the ungodliness or worldly pursuits. Worship always, 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 this is a, con- a constant, a firm truth, revolves around the Word of God. And why? Well, the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. You want to know God? You want to get closer to God? You want to become more Christ-like? You get in the Word because that's where God reveals Himself and tells the truth of who He is. We learn of His character and His nature. We learn of His promises and His intent for us. We learn what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to let go of, how we're supposed to praise Him. We learn everything from the Word of God. And when we get in it, we become more like the God of the Word. Here's the deal. The better we know God's Word and obey it, The better we'll know God and become like Him. Sounds like a simple truth. It's hard for us. It's hard for me. I'd go so far as to say that any worship service that precludes the Word of God, that does not include the Word of God, will not receive the blessing of God. You know, we could get up here and never mention the Word of God, never mention God's name, never talk about sin, never talk about glory. We could do lots of things, but even the songs we sing here, guys, are full of the word of God. That's one of the reasons we love hymns, is because there's so much scriptural truth in them. Yet when we preclude the word of God and it just becomes a bunch of stories and it doesn't do us very much good, we can get entertained, we can laugh, we can have a good time, but man, we're here to bless God. God speaks to us through his word, and get this guys, his spirit responds to and through his word. When you're reading these words, it's literally the spirit is breathing this pneuma, this truth into us and speaking to us. Now we speak to God through prayer and praise, but we respond to his spirit and this is worship. Now look at verse five real quick on this greatness of God. It says here, the Levites tell the people to stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting To everlasting mean from beginning to end Alpha Omega and they're telling them thank God for everything and as believers we ought to want to obey that command because worship is the privilege of a grateful heart you have something to praise God for today even in a season of lowness even in a season of difficulty or struggle could you still dig down deep in that well in that reserve and think of how you could praise God I'm not talking about being a perpetual optimist. I'm talking about being a realist. What has God really done for you that you need to thank him for? And the more we focus on praising God, it seems the better our spirits are lifted and we get out of that funk and out of that mire and out of that sadness. And so we exalt God's name above every name because no name is higher, nothing is sweeter, and nothing could bring us greater joy. Now, for us, it takes Time and thoughtfulness to confess our sin. When I began to think, and you know, I had a bad problem when I was in college. Um, I would repeat, repeatedly, like almost daily ask God to forgive me for the same sins. Um, there were some sins that are harder to break than others, but something that I did years ago it would keep getting brought up and I kept saying, God, forgive me. I'll never get over that. God, I'm so sorry. And college pastor told me, he said, Aaron, when you've confessed those sins, he said, do you believe God forgave you when you confessed it? I said, yeah. He said, then you don't need to keep confessing it over and over again because God's already forgiven it. Move on. You've probably got new sins in your life to confess, and that's true. So the people took time to confess their sins and they sought out God's face. You know, there's a couple of ways we seek God. We can seek his face And that's really, when you look at the face of a person, when you look in their eyes, you you literally are paying attention to them, what they're saying, uh, what their reaction is. We can also seek God's hands. And a lot of times we're guilty of this. We only want what God can give us. What can he extend to us or dole out to us? How can he bless us? How can he help us? And we want from God. And they're both good ways to seek God. But guys, we wanna seek God's face first and spend time intimately with him before we ask from his hands. And that's a good way to begin true worship. Here's the deal, whenever you see or sense the sin in your life, and we're talking about renewing covenant here, it starts here with us in our hearts. Whenever you see or sense sin in your life, at that moment, look to Jesus, seek his forgiveness. If you just look to yourself, guys, if we look inwardly, there are, man, go to Books A Million, go to Barnes and Noble, man, sections upon self-improvement. Here's a problem. We can't improve sin. Sin improved by self remains sin. You may be a little bit more moral at the end of the book, but you're still a sinner. And so the only way sin can be dealt with is to give it to God, confess it. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. He forgives it and blesses you in return. That's the best way for self-help, all right? And it's not self-help at all. It's God help because in ourselves, we're dead in these trespasses and sin. We need somebody to bring us to life and change it. When we look to ourselves and we focus on our failures, the problem is, is we often become more and more discouraged. It's why it's so vital to seek Jesus early and often because When we're able to focus on his love and grace, literally his perfection, then we move off of our own imperfection. We begin to see what we're supposed to be like and not dwell and get depressed on what we have been. As we draw nearer to God, we separate ourselves further from this world. This is what the people are doing in Nehemiah 9. They're confessing what they once were and what they once did, even what their forefathers did. And they're saying, we wanna go in a new direction. This is repentance. Now. Get this, I have two equations up here, okay? <clears throat> Not a math person. But these are a couple of truths that I think that are important, and they kind of struck me this week. Separation from the world, okay? We, we, we get away from, you know, the bars and the clubs, and we get away from uh, the, the, the horrible talk and the ungodliness and the stuff behind us. We separate ourselves from all that stuff. Minus devotion to God— Meaning if, if we do all that, yet we don't have devotion to God, what we, we've done is we've isolated ourselves. We've isolated ourselves from people, maybe from church. We might've even isolated ourselves from God. We need other people. God created us to be community. This is also true. When we have devotion to God, when we're fully, when we say we're devoted to him and we're gonna praise and honor him, but we also have devotion to the world, that's what we call hypocrisy. Because you can't live on both sides of the fence. You can't even straddle the fence. God will spew what is lukewarm out of his mouth, will he not? And so we've got to choose a side. And we've got to be fully devoted to that. Preferably the side that's devoted to God. What we want is separation from the world plus devotion to God. And so with that, I have one scripture here out of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. You are to be holy to me, you, insert your name there, Ben, you are to be holy to me, June, Mike, Sheila, Chad, Jamie, Aaron, Jennifer, Sarah, whoever you are, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. We're sanctified. We're supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus. We're set apart from worldliness. Now listen, we're in the world, you've heard it, but we're not supposed to be of the world, of like makeup. Listen, we're not homogenous with the things of the world anymore when we become Christ's brother or sister, when we become a joint heir, when we become God's child. Doesn't mix, oil and water don't mix. And so it's a good idea for us with our worship to begin with God's greatness recognize him at the beginning of any prayer i've shared this before there's acronyms for praying and one is the word acts a c t s acts and it means adoration confession thanksgiving supplication adoration confession thanksgiving supplication it's an order of prayer that helps us as a device to pray to god and where we begin is just the adoration of god god you're awesome It's not lip service, it's not false flattery, it's literally, God, today you spared me, thank you. God, you are amazing to me and my family, the faithfulness that you show to me, even when I'm unfaithful. God, you are worthy of all my praise and I wish I could give you more, adore him. Begin with the greatness of God and then move on. The second point this morning is that not only is God great, but God is also good. Do you know the separation here between the greatness of God and the goodness of God? We're saying he's a great God, and he is, but he's also a good God, right? And in that, we're talking about his kindness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace towards us. This prayer in Nehemiah 9 tells the history of Israel. And it shows God's goodness to his people. It also shows that his people repeatedly fail to appreciate his goodness. When's the last time? Okay, we were talking about this, I don't know what meeting we were in the other day, but we were talking about, I confess this. In the morning when I wake up, I may say, God bless this meeting that I'm having today. God bless this person. God help me to, to have energy and strength today. God bless my family and keep them safe today. God, 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 God. And at the end of the day, when I'm laying down my head, I might say, Oh, thanks God for a good day. But I haven't thanked him because he answered every single prayer. There's a general prayer that we can pray of thanks and God hears it and receives it. But sometimes it's good to remind us what we asked for, that he was faithful that day to answer it. Our God is a giving God and he delights in meeting the needs of his people. 1 Timothy six seventeen is the great example of this. It says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited, not to be puffed up with vanity, not to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides all things for us to enjoy. Man, you know, there's this saying by Piper, and I won't break it down this, this morning. John Piper said, uh, we, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied In him to be satisfied in the things that God gives you brings God immense glory and we worship him for that Israel repeated again and again this unthankfulness this ungratefulness towards God eventually it turned to them going into captivity I don't want that for us You know, in this goodness of God, I want to say something that may not jive with everybody, but it is not just the blessings of God, the good things of God, that we're to be thankful for. It's also the discipline and the chastening. Nobody likes that stuff, man. But that's what makes us more Christ-like, is it not? When God corrects us and rebukes us, he reproves us, and he instructs us in righteousness, as Paul told Timothy— Listen, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, uh, the father is never as close to us as when he is chastening us. Probably because his hand's on our rear end spanking us, right? He's right there. He's close to us, right? But in this instance too, we know that he delights in his children. He doesn't, man, i tell you what I was told with a fly swat, with a belt, with a paddle, called the Texas Trailblazer, I remember it well. I was told with hands, I was told many ways, it's gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. And I always doubted that truth, all right? But the truth is, is when God corrects us and chastens us or chastises us or disciplines us, it's because he can't see his image bearer, his beloved, his redeemed child to go astray and he wants nothing more than to bring us back into fellowship and peace and harmony with himself and sometimes it hurts read book years ago by philip keller called a shepherd looks at psalm 23 and in that book this man he's a he's a he, he tends sheep He tends goats, and he's writing from his experiences as he studied the Word of God out in the fields. And he made this truth that has always stuck with me. He said, whenever I have a lamb that constantly strays away from the flock, he said, what I will do, and what's been a common practice is, I'll break the leg of that lamb. And you think, my goodness, how horrible are you? He said, but immediately I will set that limb, bandage that limb, I will carry that limb with me, keep it close to my heart. And when I put it down, it can't stray anymore. It learns its master's voice. It learns its shepherd's heart. And eventually it learns that the safety and protection of intimacy with the shepherd is where he belongs. And he doesn't stray anymore. And sometimes guys, God has to wound us deeply to bless us greatly and we don't like that but that's still a part of the goodness of God the last and final um, is the grace of God and we say this grace this is my working definition of it I know you've probably heard it this way too but the simplest definition of grace that I know is God giving us what we do not deserve I would probably add or what we could not earn because we can't earn grace There are people probably teaching in places today and living out that we have to earn God's favor, that we have to do enough to earn salvation. And guys, that's a lie from Satan. There's nothing you can do to earn a free gift that God wants to give. We accept it by faith and believe. God was always good to his people, even when his people weren't always good to him. And the same is true for us today. God's always good and faithful to you and I, even when we're not always good and faithful to God. That's part of the grace of God. He gives us himself, even when we don't deserve that precious love. It's unconditional. Man, I love the word unconditional, especially when it refers to agape love. When we're talking about unconditional, it means I can't lose it, I can't earn it, I can't run away from it, I can't go hide from it. God's love doesn't change towards me because his love is an attribute of his character. It's who God is. Jesus is love. And so, He loves us with an everlasting love. Our response is what the Levites told the people. Praise him from everlasting to everlasting. (laughs) As the Levites prayed, they acknowledged the sins of the entire nation. And they acknowledged that God was just in sending his judgment. They didn't say, God, this was unfair what you did to us. Or why us, God? They said, no, we recognize that we have rebelled against you, sinned against you. We have profaned your name. We have been idolatrous. We have served other gods and worshiped other gods and intermarried with other people and done all these things you told us not to. And God, the guilt is on us. And they said, God, you're just in your judgment towards us. Well, I tell you what, it's a mature Christian that finally gets to that place saying, I deserve that. I deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. Rebuke. I deserve correction. We don't like that. Nobody in our feel-good world, nobody in, in most pulpits, we don't want to preach that we're the guilty ones that need to confess our sin so that we can be forgiven of that. We don't want to talk about sin. But man, God's grace isn't God's grace without us confessing how wretched we really are. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's full of grace and mercy towards us if we but only seek him. And so the Levites said in verse 33, they said, you are just in all that has befallen us because you've acted faithfully. They said, God, you never changed your nature, or your character. We're the ones who changed and went away. They said, we have acted wickedly. Now I love this. There's a pronoun there, the pronoun we, and it's not there by accident. He doesn't say they. The Levites aren't saying, man, God, it's those awful people that you made us serve over. God, it's, it's them. It's people from Cave Springs. It's people from Springdale, alright we right? I'm offend half the congregation here. It's people from Hackett, Arkansas. You can offend me, okay? They don't say they, they say we, because guys, we're in this together. The gates of hell, hell, hell will not prevail against us, against God's church we're in this together for good or for bad. We're united in this. And so the pronoun we is there. The Levites, who were the spiritual leaders of the people, identified themselves as part of the nation and part of the problem. And this is the truth. Until we acknowledge our own guilt and shame, we will not sincerely worship God. We will not renew the covenant with God. It's so easy to be convicted about somebody else's sin, God, do you know what they said? Do you know what they do? Do you know where they go on Friday nights? God, do you know what they're doing today? Not in church. But God forgives us when we repent and confess of our own sins. We got to focus here first, Lord, Lord, before we need to focus on anything or anyone else. The beautiful thing about all of this is that the people didn't just ask God for mercy. They did, they cried out to God if you read the rest of this chapter. They prayed and said, Lord, forgive us. But they didn't just pray. It wasn't just a prayer and then up, okay, I'm back out, I'm doing whatever I was doing. There's a change that's being wrought by the Spirit of God within these people. They're broken over their sin and now the healing comes. And it changes from the inside out what they're going to do and say and how they're going to behave. The people didn't just ask God for mercy, but they put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. They made a covenant with God. I would say better, maybe they renewed a covenant with God to obey his law and to do his will. And I'd ask you and I'd ask myself this morning, what covenant do we need to renew with God today? What have we told God that we would do? Where have we told God we would serve? Where have we told God we would go and be obedient And we've stopped doing that or we've lost our passion for it. And that needs to be refreshed today. Where are those areas? I'm going to recap this as easy and simply as I can. You have that, I think it's slide 15, the next to last slide, Steve. This one. This is the whole chapter kind of written out in a paragraph form. Our God is a glorious God. We find it in verse 5. He's a powerful God, verse 6. He's a faithful God, verse 8. He's concerned about the needs of his people, verse 9. He's a pardoning God, if we'll ask, verse 17 through 19. He's long-suffering when we sin. That means he's patient with us, verses 21 and 36. But he disciplines us if we rebel, verse 26. He's a generous God, verse 24 and 25, who gives us far more than we ever deserve. He's a God who keeps his promises even if, I would say not if, but when we are unfaithful. Knock that over. Isn't that not an awesome God? This is a God of Nehemiah 9. He's calling us to a renewed relationship with himself. Maybe something in you needs to be renewed today. I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. We're going to have just a moment of invitation. And I'd ask you to bow your heads with me right now and let's pray. I'm going to pray the prayer of David from Psalm 51. God, Yahweh, would you please search each one of us today? Would you know us intimately and deeply? And God, would you reveal to us any hidden sins that are within us? God, would you recall to each one of our minds the promises we've made to you, the ways we've said we would do this or do that or we would serve here or give there. Maybe we attached it to a promise of conditionality, Lord God, that if you would get us out of this situation or if you would answer this prayer, then we would do such and such a thing. And maybe we've not carried through on our end of the bargain. God, this is heavy. And it takes time to remember these things. It requires thoughtfulness on our parts. But Lord, we're asking for the spirit to show us what we need to do. And God, if we need to renew relationship with you this morning by rededicating our lives, maybe we need to renew a covenant and promise that we once made to you. Maybe somebody here today has never made that step of faith and they need to be saved. God, we pray that you would do that in the lives of your people today draw us by your spirit. We're not in sackcloth or burlap this morning. We're not throwing dirt on our heads, Lord God, but we could still be broken here today so that you could heal us. So Lord, we ask for you to have your way to do your will in us. In Jesus' name.